Do you ever think about the skills that you learned to do the pitch? Do you ever think about that when you're talking to fundraisers or talking to volunteers? How, how have you incorporated that into just your like day-to-day life? Yeah, constantly. I mean, I, uh, I'm i just so much more comfortable now yeah, doing yeah. that kind of stuff because of that. The skills that I learned from that are completely invaluable. Hi, and welcome to Fun with Failure, a podcast about individual and organizational resilience. I'm your host, Dr. Alexis Carrero. Let's have some fun. My guest today is Kim April. Kim moved to Charlotte from Buffalo, New York in 2001 to pursue a career as a clinical social worker. She worked for several years as a case manager and mental health therapist with children and families until she decided to stay home with her two young children. Then she started her own small business, Natural Wonders Play Studio, providing open-ended, sensory-rich play to children. She is currently the executive director of Feeding Charlotte, a nonprofit organization based in Charlotte, North Carolina, but will soon be transitioning away from that role. Hi, Kim. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Good. Me too. Can I ask you a question? You can. Okay, so why why did you call the podcast Fun with Failure and what do you think fun with failure means? Sure. So, <laughs> I was going back and forth about the name for a long time. But with, you know, the increase in social media and everyone is living their best life Mm -hmm. and we all have filters and we all are happy and we're all presenting our best selves. And I just don't find that interesting. Yeah. I don't find it interesting. I don't find it useful. Mm -hmm. I don't find it really productive. Mm -hmm. I hate to fail. This is a podcast from the Queen City Podcast Network. I hate trying I just like doing yeah and you can't really do it well unless you try and make mistakes first so it's something that I knew that I needed that I was interested in exploring I wanted to talk to other people about how they get over failures and what lessons they've learned Mm -hmm. Uh, so that's really kind of from from me that's really where it started it was just trying to make failure seem less scary Mm -hmm. and trying to normalize failure and making mistakes as just a completely natural part of the human experience and our professional experience and in and, and organizations as well, mm-hmm. right? Just I think that idea of um, perfection is toxic and boring. And I, I wanted to talk about stuff that was just more interesting than that. I love that. Tell us a little bit about your life before you came to Charlotte and why you wanted to be a social worker. Okay, so in Buffalo, New York, I grew up very, very Catholic, and I always went to Catholic school. I went to an all-girls Catholic high school, and my mom was very into service, so she had us help out at a food pantry, and we were always just doing things with my mom to serve others. So that's probably where my passion for that grew out of, and I even had a club as a child with my friends called the Problem Solving Club. Oh my God, Most children so just have regular clubs, and mine was a club where we would discuss our problems, and then we'd all write a possible solution to our friend's problem. And I still have the notebooks from that. It's really funny. I gave good advice back then. Is it too late for me to join this club? Because <laughs> I have a lot of problems and would love your help. Let's start the club again. Yeah. So um, I guess a lot of my mom's influence in my life being that type of person. Yeah. So sort of hardwired in from a young age. 
So based on your work as a social worker, what are some misconceptions about social work or what's something that you wish people understood about social work or social workers? So I have a master's degree in social work and a lot of people call themselves social workers when they're just in sort of the service field. And so people who have a master's in social work often get upset about that. But I would say... A misconception is that, you know, the first thought that often comes to people's minds is like somebody who goes in and takes kids away from their families, you know, or deals with those kinds of situations. But the reason I went into social work was because of how versatile it is and how many different things you can do with it. So honestly, you know, as the executive director of Feeding Charlotte, it's not quote unquote social work, but it's along those same lines. I mean, the the degree and the previous job experiences got me to this point where I am because a lot of the job is just dealing with other people, talking to people, making them feel comfortable, listening, and things like that. And you do a lot of work on yourself when you are in school for social work. You're required to go to counseling so you know what that's like. Yeah, but I would say the joke amongst social workers is that we all are in it for a reason. Like we all have some sort of issues that we're trying to work on ourselves, trying to figure out ourselves and therefore are attracted to that work in that way. And I would say that's probably accurate based on all the social workers I know, but that's okay. Yeah, Yeah, I've heard um, from other academic friends as well, research is me-search. Yeah. Right. We're drawn to the things that we want to study because yeah. there's something that we're trying to figure out about ourselves or mm-hmm. uncover about ourselves. So it makes sense if you're going into that field, you're like, oh, maybe I need nurturing in this way or maybe I needed help in that way. And mm-hmm. I didn't get it, but I can almost give it to myself by giving it to other people. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So the name of the podcast obviously is fun with failure, but failure doesn't really seem like a fun concept as Mm -hmm. it applies to social work. So is there anything that you learned or any lessons or mistakes that you made as a social worker that, and the lessons that you've learned from that, that you continue to sort of carry or think about today? Let's see. Well, I would say it's very difficult to know whether you're succeeding or failing in social work because you're trying to help people in some way, right? So once your work with them is over, you have, unless you somehow stay in touch with them, you have no idea if that was, it could be a temporary success that you're seeing in those few months or however long you're working with somebody, but you have no idea if they just go back to, the same issues or, you know, the, so that's very difficult because it's not a job where you just see, you know, you're do, dealing with numbers or something like that and you see the result right away. So I never really know. You just have to hope that you had some sort of influence or some sort of positive change. But I guess the lesson from that is you kind of have to let it go and just think about your impact as just a ripple like it might have created some effect and maybe somebody else learned something that you know so letting go of having it having to know whether it's a success in the long term or not that's a hard lesson 
let's chat a little bit about Feeding Charlotte. So according to the website, it says, we believe no fresh food should end up in the trash while people go hungry. Every day in Charlotte, thousands of pounds of fresh, nutritious food like salmon, beef stew, veggie lasagna is thrown away from dining halls, restaurant buffets, and catered events, while around the corner, many of our Charlotte neighbors are going to bed hungry. The problem is not a shortage of food. It's a food distribution problem. Can you tell us a little bit about this problem? (laughs) Yes, it's such a huge problem that I didn't ever think about at all until 2018. And Chris, my husband, he was in California on a business trip, and he called me and said, I've been going at all these restaurants that have stickers in the window that say we are a 0% food waste restaurant. He's like, what do you think that means? I'm like, I have no idea. And the day he called me to tell me that, I was sitting down to rewrite my business plan for Natural Wonders Play Studio because I was planning on expanding that business. But I was also procrastinating a lot that day. So I was like, I'll start researching this 0% food waste restaurant. And that's when I started finding out all these statistics that 40% of all food produced in the United States goes to waste. And then, I mean, of course, it makes sense if you think about it. You're like, yeah, even at home, I throw away a ton of food if it goes bad in my fridge or, you know, so you start thinking about it. But immediately, because of my background in social work, I started thinking about all these families that I used to work with and do home visits with who had literally no food in their refrigerator. And all of a sudden, it just clicked that, like, why can't we connect these dots? Like, restaurants, caterers, you see it everywhere. You know, like, food is just getting thrown away everywhere. And I was like, okay, we need to figure out a way to transport the food to the people who need it most. So the way we do it is, I mean, we don't take the food directly to people. We take it to other organizations that we partner with who we're already feeding their communities, And we rely on them to know, you know, who really needs the food. They know their communities very well. And they're the true heroes who get this food out to the people who need it most. So that's kind of where the idea came from. And then I never finished writing my business plan for the other thing. (laughs) That's it. That's what happens when you procrastinate. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. You wind up coming coming up with this incredible idea to feed homeless people <laughs> and you know people underserved in Charlotte. <laughs> so you were you were the sole founder. How did this like how, how did the organization right? Because there's a, such a huge leap between oh my gosh, there's this problem. I think we could come up with a solution, and then having the solution in place and there's an organization and an advisory board like. There's a huge gap there that's probably even more work than you thought it would be or anyone thinks it would be. You're like, oh, we should do this. And then you're like, you know, however long later, you're like, what have I gotten myself into? So what was the process and who did you work with? Yes, I could have never done it if it was just me. So that same day that I'm talking about that I was procrastinating, I wrote a Facebook post that said something like, so if someone were to figure out how to get leftover food from restaurants, caterers, something like that, and deliver it to people who need food. Does anybody know how, how to do that? Or would anybody want to help me do that? And the, It's my kind t- of going back to your like group as a kid. Like It's the problem solution yeah. group. <laughs> I have a true. problem. And you're like asking for solutions. That's so true. Yeah. yeah. So the two, our two other co-founders, Sue Haas and Mendy Godman, 
commented on the post and they were like they were they were already friends and they said they commented something like we've already been talking about this we have wanted to do something like this they were already kind of sometimes making their own food and just going out and delivering it to people on the street stuff like that wow yeah and I was like great well let's meet up for lunch and discuss so yeah so we sat down and got all excited about We had no idea what we were doing, of course, but got all excited about this idea. And we were like, what would our name be if we were to do this? What would we call ourselves? And we thought of the name Food Connection. We're like, great, that sounds good. Let's Google it to see if anybody else has that name. So we did, and we found this organization in Asheville called Food Connection that does the exact same thing we were talking about doing. So I called up the executive director of that organization and told her, like, we kind of want to start something like this in Charlotte. And we talked on the phone for two hours, the first phone call. And she was absolutely amazing. And she was like, I love it that you want to do this in Charlotte. Why don't you come to Asheville, see our operation, how we do it all? So I think two weeks later, we went to Asheville for three days and shadowed them. We went to their board meeting. They basically taught us how to do everything we do. And then for the, so for all of 2019, we were actually a chapter. We became a chapter of Food Connection. And that was amazing. You know, we have still a great relationship with them and learned so much for them. But the end of that year, it was a mutual decision that Charlotte's such a different kind of market, a different, a bigger city. It was better if we kind of branched off on our own. So that's when we became Feeding Charlotte in 2020. That's one of the things I love about nonprofits. It's like, hey, I had this idea and you're doing something similar. And people are like, come on down, come on over. We'll open up the books. We'll show you everything we did. We'll share all of our mistakes first so you don't have to make those. Like, mm-hmm. It's such a collaborative environment in that particular way because you realize you know, you're not on opposite sides. You're all on the same side of solving the problem. Yes, absolutely. Yep. Yeah, and we're part of something called the Food Rescue Alliance, which is, I think there's 30 food rescue organizations across the country that are in it, and we all share all of our resources. Like, even if somebody is posting a new job for the organization, we can send out a message to everybody there saying, do you have a job posting for this that I can look at? We don't mind if people, like, take stuff that we do and run with it, and people are in all different cities and but yeah, everybody's so kind and share, giving yeah. their information. Yeah, that's exactly what you want. I mm-hmm. can't imagine working with a nonprofit and being like, "No, you can't have our stuff." Like, yeah. why are you even doing it then? You don't actually want to help people. I know. So another thing, I was looking at the website earlier, and another part of the website states that feeding Charlotte's vision is to be a first responder in alleviating hunger in the Charlotte community and that you have a system in place to get food to those who need it most while protecting the planet. So tell me about the system. What system do you have in place? So we have a software system that was developed in California and a lot of other food rescue organizations use it as well. But it's called Chow Match, and essentially it creates a three-way match between food donations, recipient organizations, and volunteers. So what happens is a food donor goes into Chow Match and registers as a food donor. It's free. 
no costs associated. And then same thing with all of our recipient partners, the organizations that get the food. They go in and register and they enter what days and times they can accept food, how much food they can accept, uh, what types and all that. And then when a volunteer wants to register as a driver, we call them food rescue drivers, they go in and register. They have to take pass and a food safety quiz in the app in order to be eligible. They have to get an 80% or better so that you know they have some food safety training. And so once all those people are in there and then once a food donor has leftover food, they go in and post it. And they'll say, you know, exactly how much food it is, what it is, and the day and time it can be picked up. And as soon as they do that, the system automatically matches it to one of the recipient organizations based on the information they entered. So that happens all on its own. And then once that happens, an alert gets sent out to all of our volunteers via text message or email, whatever they choose, that there's a food rescue available, and they can go in and sign up for it. And we currently have about 70 volunteers registered, so it takes no more than five minutes, I would say, on average, for somebody to sign up for it. And then, you know... The food gets, it just goes straight from point A to point B. So the volunteer goes to the food donor site, picks up the food, loads it into their car, drives it directly to the organization that needs it. They unload it, either serve it right away or refrigerate it or freeze it. And it works so smoothly. So that's the system. And I mean, like, because we have this great system, it can handle a large volume. So we can handle a lot more food donations. If people are interested in either becoming a volunteer or if organizations, restaurants, college campuses who have catered events, like who, who do you, like they can go to the web, what's the website that they can go to? Feedingcharlotte.org. Okay. And then what type of organizations are you looking for to donate the food? Like who ideally, if you could snap your fingers, you know, and get 50 or 100 more organizations to mm-hmm. sign up and donate food like who who are you looking for what kind of food where is it coming from right so ideally um places that have large dining halls or you know there there could be companies that feed their employees there's a, a cafeteria for the employees there or i mean there are criteria is that it has to be enough food to feed at least 20 people for us to pick it up so any large amounts of food so we have a lot of caterers that donate after catered events to us, especially, I mean, a lot of times things happen where let's say there's a wedding and then there's bad weather and some people can't come. I mean, there's a lot of food left over at times. And then also all the colleges and universities in the area donate to us, like Queens donates. Um, Johnson and Wales was our very first food donor. So they all donate the leftover food from their cafeterias, their dining halls. But then there's other, just, just companies that sometimes provide boxed lunches for their employees and there's a lot left over sandwiches salads there's so many different things we get well and I imagine the recipients also just must be so grateful for a meal that's already prepped right I mean with you know certain areas of the city where you might have you know single moms and maybe they're working two jobs you know it's like yeah you could just give them a bag of groceries but then they're gonna have to cook all the food themselves Mm but uh be able to have meals for for families and 
meals for children mm-hmm. that they don't have to do anything about is just so convenient in that particular way also, especially healthy meals. It's interesting to think about how the organization fits in like sort of daisy-chained into food supply, food distribution, and then the end user. It's not just, oh, we have food and we're going to give it to the end user, but you guys have really sort of identified and sort of solved an interesting piece, like the system piece and Mm -hmm. how it gets there. I'm curious about the tech itself. Is this something that you, you have to license? Is there a certain amount of money that you have to raise every year to license the software? Yeah. I mean, at the moment, it's not a huge amount of our budget. I mean, that's pr- for what it offers. That's great. Um, but yeah, I mean, we have to raise money for that. And But it's totally worth it. It's actually, it's so worth it because the software developer is the nicest human being I've ever met. And he's in, out in California. And he started it because his wife started a food rescue organization in California maybe 10 or 15 years ago and she was he saw her doing all that spreadsheet stuff and he's already a software developer so he was looking to make her life easier and that's when he developed it that's a good husband right there I know he's the best he's so nice and so anytime we have a question or I want to tweak something because you can tweak it specific to your organization if you want like I can say can you add this to the draft round menu he responds immediately and is like sure I'll do it right now like, it's this total human element to it that it's not just this sophomore. It's, like, this guy behind it who's so kind and will do anything to make it better for you at any moment. I mean, I just talked to him earlier today, and he's like, oh, I'm going to try to make this one thing work a little bit better for you. And, yeah, so it's great. All right, so I love I love everything about that. Mm-hmm. What is this guy's name, and will you please plug the tech again? Yes, so his name is Todd Hang. Hi, Todd, if you listen to this, Hi, I'll Todd. send it to you. And it's called Chow Match, the, the software he developed. So, yeah, and he just keeps making updates to it to make it greater and greater because he receives feedback from the organizations that use it always, constantly. And based on the feedback he gets, he'll just keep tweaking it to make it better and better. And does updates to it and he's great that's great i love that yeah this episode of fun with failure is brought to you by delivery path are you happy with your website provider because i definitely am i use delivery path because they specialize in web hosting security and optimization that means my site is fast secure and stable It's online all the time, and I don't have to worry about it because that's their job, and they're really good at it. They take care of the daily, weekly, and monthly upgrades, so my site is always up to date. Unlike discount WordPress web hosting companies, DeliveryPath provides concierge-level customer service. If you ever have a problem with your website, they don't just use chatbots to help you, they actually chat with you. When you call DeliveryPath, someone local answers the phone. When it comes to WordPress website hosting, you get what you pay for. So if you think your business is worth $5, then get a discount vendor. But if you really want your website to work for you, then let the experts at DeliveryPath manage it for you. And they're offering a special discount for our listeners. If you mention the promo code FUN, you'll get 10% off your first three months. For more information, visit DeliveryPath.com or email service at DeliveryPath.com. Do you ever wish you had more confidence as a public speaker? Is it holding you back from getting to the next level in your career? My company is The Pitch Prof, and my specialties are in business presentations and public speaking. 
If you want to advance your career or your business, hire a communication coach because what you say is as important as how you say it. Regardless of your skill level as a public speaker, I can help you communicate with confidence. To learn more or schedule a call, visit thepitchprof.com. So that right there is one of the ways, right? Chow Match is one of the ways that Feeding Charlotte has grown over the years. You as the executive director are the face of the organization, right? Which seems to be like social work. It seems like you're kind of behind the scenes, supporting mm-hmm. families, supporting children, supporting individuals. And then as an executive director, now you're the one out front. You're pitching, you're promoting, you're asking for money, mm-hmm. right? So what are some things that you have done to grow the organization over the last couple of years? Oh, goodness. I've learned so, so much. I've gone to any kind of training I possibly can to learn how to do all this because it does not come naturally to me. Um, But I would say just getting the right people around you, getting the right people in your circle is the most important thing. So anytime I meet somebody who asks me about Feeding Charlotte and then they act really excited about it and passionate about it as well, you got to go with that and try to get that person on board to helping you in some way. So I, I think just that surrounding yourselves with the right people. And any time somebody says, I want to help, how can I volunteer? You're like, all right, what are your skills? What would you like to do? And getting them involved. And that's the key to everything, I think. So um, yeah, that's, that's the key, jumping on these people, especially friends who you know are smart and have great skills already. You're like, yes, please help me. <laughs> um, and then that's it. And then you just, they, it spirals from there because they know somebody who, you know, okay, this person might be able to give you some money. You should talk to them. And I mean, you just kind of have to take all those leads and go with them. And that's a lot of work because people offer suggestions and leads constantly, a lot of emails, but you really do have to follow up on all of them. Um, And so it takes a lot of time, but I do it. (laughs) And then uh, if I, if I remember correctly, one of the things that you did was you got in front of a thousand people at a, at a nonprofit pitch competition called Seed 20. Yep. And you, it was a cohort that you were part of and you submitted the application to be considered for this, you know, pitch competition. And then you were selected as one of the people who went on stage in front of a thousand people. So was that something that was in your wheelhouse before you did it? Or is, is it the kind of thing where you apply and then when you find out you get selected, you're like, oh, crap. What have I gotten myself into? Yeah. Yeah. It was exactly like yeah. that. <laughs> yes. I mean, every time we met with the cohort and did started pitches stuff, I would I would leave the night like all sweaty. Oh my god, I don't even know. <laughs> no, because I remember the first night, which I think was the one you were at to kind of be the speaker and give us our initial sort of training in mm-hmm. how to do this, yeah. which was extremely helpful. But I remember that night, all we had to do was walk in front of everybody and say our name and wh- what organization we were with. I was so nervous to even do that, that part of it. <laughs> like, I remember the feeling of that. 
and it was terrible. Um, but then, you know, of course, we were supposed to be on an actual stage. But then the stay-at-home order was implemented, I think, a week before we were supposed to be on stage at the Night Theater. So I wasn't oh, actually on a right. stage. That's right. They switched at the last minute. They Somebody delivered a... Um, like a tripod to my house. The whole thing happened so fast, but we ended up doing it still live on Zoom in front of a panel of people. Yeah. So, but then it was um, it was a virtual event. So I still to this day have no idea how I would have done or reacted had I actually been on the physical stage. You still get kudos though, because for me, I mean, for me, like you knew you were going to have to do it in front of a thousand people. And although, yes, we pivoted to, or the organization pivoted to online, like I still think anyone who takes on that challenge is just incredibly brave. And there has to be an element of, which again, probably doesn't feel like fun at the time, but like I could go out there and freeze. I could forget everything. You have no notes, nothing on a teleprompter, no presentation behind you. It's just you in the harsh, bright, spotlight mm-hmm. trying to persuade people's hearts and minds to choose and vote for you mm-hmm. um so yeah you really have to put yourself out there and be willing to fail publicly yes yes yeah what were you thinking it was terrible i'm not kidding i mean well i was constantly trying to run through my mind the advice you gave about what to do right before you go on stage what not to eat yeah. All that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. And like get the jitters out. Um, but yeah, I mean, so it's a three-minute pitch that you essentially memorize. So um, I'm not, I don't really know if that makes it better or worse, but for weeks prior to that, you basically just walk around nonstop saying your pitch, your three-minute pitch so that you don't... <laughs> practice, practice, practice. You record I tell my clients yourself. All the time. Yeah, you record yourself a million times. You play it back and, you know... Um, so I guess by the time that came around, I had practiced it so much that it was kind of second nature. Good. That's perfect. So I but, wasn't that yeah. worried about that part of it. I guess the the part that you're more worried about is just how you're going to present yourself. Are you going to look shaky? Are you going to, is your voice going to sound nervous? All that kind of stuff. But as far as the pitch, I was pretty, I could stay it like in my sleep, you know? <laughs> Good. Well, that's such, that's like, that's perfect because, you know, when I, when I do, when I work with people who are pitching investors or pitching nonprofits or trying to fundraise or college interviews or whatever it is, speeches, it's, oh, everyone will say the same thing. Practice, 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 practice. Mm -hmm. And you can tell the people that practice and you can tell the people that don't. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's just, it's just one of those things you can't fake it. Mm-hmm. You have to practice. You have, if it's a three minute pitch, then you have to practice it for 300 minutes, right? Mm-hmm. Like just 10 exit, 100 exit, yes. especially if the stakes are that high. And if I recall, you placed in the top, it was like the top second. two. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We placed second. Yeah. Yeah. It was a $7,500 award. Yeah. It's yeah. Great. I mean, yeah, you have to video self, your, videotape yourself too, so you can see what your body language looks like practice like what am I going to do with my arms while I'm saying that particular thing like yes. everything has to be memorized. yes <laughs> it's crazy You're I wouldn't like, what really... do I do with my hands <laughs> yeah. why do I have hands <laughs> exactly like when am I gonna like make my you know do something you can't do that too much because then that's distracting I mean the whole I wouldn't want to do it again but it was an amazing experience 
Do you ever think about the skills that you learned to do the pitch? Do you ever think about that when you're talking to fundraisers or talking to volunteers? How, how have you incorporated that into just your like day-to-day life? Yeah, constantly. I mean, I, I'm i just so much more comfortable now yeah, doing yeah. that kind of stuff because of that. Um, and I was really fortunate, though, because I had the best pitch coaches. You know, you have a team of coaches. So mm-hmm. um, one of the one of my pitch coaches is now on our finance committee. I've recruited him because he was so good and so into feeding Charlotte that in order to help me develop the pitch, he came out with me to one of our recipient locations, met them, basically saw our operation and did such an incredible job helping me write the pitch um, that I recruited him into our organization now. Ha, 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 ha. You got it. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I was fortunate because not everybody had that same experience, but they were super helpful. Like I could record myself and then text it to them, mm-hmm. and they would listen to it right away and offer me feedback and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I don't even know. The skills that I learned from that are completely invaluable. I mean – They've continued on. You can't really go back from learning all that stuff. And the first time you do it in front of, I think the first time you're only doing it in front of 20 people when you're practicing, the way I felt then versus the way I feel now when I'm going to pitch, quote unquote pitch, or, you know, because I have done a lot of speaking engagements or lunch and learn type things, presentations. I still get a little bit nervous, but nowhere like the way I used to. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing that I love, you said, you know, yeah, I'm more comfortable now. Yeah. And you don't get to that level of comfort unless you are willing to put yourself through the discomfort first. Like there's no way to just jump from A to Z and be like, I wish I was a better public speaker. I wish that I was better on stage or I wish I was a better communicator. I guess I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. Like Mm -hmm. you don't get there that way. You get there by... Yeah, putting yourself out there Mm -hmm. and you have to be willing to fail. You have to be willing to look like an idiot at first. You have to be willing to ask for help. Mm -hmm. And it's through the work of that and the discomfort of that that you gain the confidence and the skills of doing it better over time. Is that something that in general you are good at, like asking for help in general? I wouldn't say I'm good at asking for help, no, but I am good at taking myself out of my comfort zone. I would say my entire experience as an executive director has been out of my comfort zone. Because when you start a nonprofit organization, you just have an idea. You don't necessarily have the skills to make that happen. I mean, I'm a social worker. You know, I'm not (laughs) a development person. You have to become all these things. So that's my entire experience is I don't want to do half the things I do. Okay, like, you know, asking for money. Nobody likes to do that. Well, I have actually met a couple of people who kind of do like it. So I try to get them on my team. But um, it's so uncomfortable. And like in December, my goal was to meet with all of our major funders, take them out to lunch and see if they'll keep supporting us for this coming year. And, you know, the lunch is great. And then the whole time I'm thinking, like, I got to do this ask you know, it's terrible. Um, (laughs) So it's kind of that way about the entire experience of doing this is I don't know how to do something. I learn how to do it. And then I do it even though I don't want to. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 
but you have to be willing to put yourself out there. You have mm-hmm. to be willing to be embarrassed and mm-hmm. admit that you need help or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And I, and so you said that you're transitioning away from from the executive director role. Mm-hmm. So how did that come about? How did like what helped inform your decision? Was it about you? Was it about the organization? Is it is it about I imagine it would be the right decision for both. Like how did that mm-hmm. how did that come about? Yeah, so our co-founder Mendy Godman was our original executive director, but she left the organization and so we needed an executive director. I was the only one there. So I was in, and our co-founder Sue Hawes had already left for various other reasons, you know, and basically, so I was the only one. And I, I told our board of directors at the time that, you know, I would do this. I already was the one who did C20. I wasn't the executive director then, but a lot of people, like I was already a little bit more of the the face. So people kind of knew me, but I told our board of directors that I would, I would stay in that role until I got us to a point where we could hire a professional with really great skills and background in this and offer them a really good salary and benefits. That was the whole goal. Benefits is really important for like equity and stuff like that. So I worked really hard this past year on our funding, making sure we met our budget and all that. And we got to a point, the point that I wanted us to, where I think we are offering a really decent salary we can offer benefits. And not only that, but I'm going to transition back into my role as basically program director, the one who's just running the whole food rescue program. Because that's really where my passion lies is going out and meeting all the people, the food donors, the food recipients, hanging out with the volunteers, helping um, serve the food with our recipients sometimes. But all the requirements of an executive director kind of took me away from that. So because of all the other obligations, I wasn't really out in the community as much anymore. And I missed it, you know. And I just have to be true to myself. That's really my passion. So what are you looking for? Like if you could kind of snap your fingers and have the dream candidate for the next executive director, what kind of person are you looking for? What kind of person do you think is going to be drawn to the work and will excel in the Mm -hmm. role? I mean, we're looking for somebody who has experience in leadership role of some sort for, you know, like five or 10 years at least. Um, So just really a good leader and passionate about feeding Charlotte. I mean, the person doesn't already have to be passionate about it right now, but once they learn about what we do and what the issue is, just feeling a sense of passion about that. And then, I don't know, personality is such a huge thing. That's why the, I think we're going to do three interviews for everybody, um, you know, just to make sure that it's a good fit for our organization, just the way we operate and we're kind of laid back. And <laughs> we wrote the job description so we know those qualifications, but there's going to be something intangible, like personality-wise, that I can't yeah, the I X know factor. yet. Yeah, I tend to, um, and I talked to my board about this, we, have, we put together a temporary hiring committee, which is really great because... I kind of like everybody all the time, which is good and bad. <laughs> so I, I have the potential to just be like, that person's great right away about everybody. But so fortunately, we have these other people who are going to be yes. on the committee we'll be a little helping. More sure. <laughs> yeah. Because maybe come up with a rubric of things, right. not just does Kim like them? Exactly. Because Kim likes everyone. Like, oh my gosh, that person seems amazing. Like, after the. 
<laughs> of course they wanted you as like the face as the executive director because you just you just exude such joy all the time and you just seem so warm of course people are drawn to that you know I'm learning I'm learning yeah well, that's all any of us can do, right? We're just, we're all a work in progress. We're all learning. We're all making mistakes and figuring it out mm-hmm. as we go. Yeah, exactly. I think prior to founding a nonprofit, I had the tendency to just give up on something the second I failed. Like, oh, I guess I'm not good at that. We're done with that now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, bye-bye. But this has taught me that I have to hang in there because now it's like all these people are relying on me. So I literally can't do that or else I'd be letting so many people down. But it's been the hardest thing I've ever done. But that's that's a great lesson for me because, I mean, I've starting a nonprofit, you fail many times in a lot of different ways and you literally have to keep going. So that's perfect. But, yeah, I think growing up and really leading up to this, I would just be like, I'm done. I had one tiny failure. I stink. Not good. Let's move on to the next thing. That's it. Don't keep trying at all. So I didn't have fun with failure back then, but now I do. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. I mean, I think that's part of it, right? It's part of aging is realizing like, oh, you know what? Um, I don't want to go into my fifth decade trying to be perfect. Like it's, you know, whatever it is, what it is. We are who we are and it's Mm -hmm. totally natural. So let's just talk about it. Yes. Yes. And my current therapist is trying to teach me how to um, sit with my uncomfortable feelings, Mm -hmm. recognize them and then sit with them for a little while before just immediately trying to fix them or like distract myself from them so that I can actually learn. (laughs) It's okay. It's okay to have uncomfortable feelings. (laughs) It is. Yeah. One of the hardest things when I was, when I was uh, teaching college for a while, we talked to the students a lot and just said like, one of the most important things you have to learn to do is to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. But of course, when you say it about your therapist, I want to toss her off a building, (laughs) right? Like it's easy to say it to someone else. But when someone says it to me, I'm like, you just have to be comfortable being uncomfortable. It's it's horrible. I hate it. I'm not good at it, but it's a practice. Really, it's a practice. I'm trying to learn. That's all we can do. Yeah. That is all we can do. (laughs) Yeah. So if people want to learn more about you... I know that you said it was uh, feedingcharlotte.org. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then if they want to follow you, I know that you're on LinkedIn. Is there Are there any other organizations that you want to plug or promote or shine the spotlight on? Oh, I guess the main one I can think of right now is Social Venture Partners. And we were talking about Seed20. They're the ones who run that program. We're going into our fourth year of being supported by them in some way. And this year it's financially as well as like mentorship and trainings and stuff like that. So I'll give a shout out to them. Yeah, I love venture. C20. I'm yeah. going to be doing the pitch workshop again oh, for the for good. the class and another pitch workshop for the coaches. And I'm going to be involved more this year. Yeah, so. I'm going to go to the pitch competition. I mean, I've never actually been to one in person, you know. I've yeah. never seen it. <clears throat> so I can't wait to go there and imagine what it was like if I were on stage. Do you have any advice for the people that are going to be pitching this year? Um, I guess I would say utilize your coaches a lot. I don't know. You just got to develop a good relationship with your coaches. It's probably really important. And if you can't for some reason, then, um, I don't know, take a deep breath, do your best and practice your pitch like a thousand times. Yep. (laughs) It's perfect. Yeah. 
Well, Kim, thanks so much for coming out and good luck to you as you transition into your new role at Feeding Charlotte. Thank you. I'm very excited about it. I'm excited for you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. QueenCityPodcastNetwork.com. dot com.